Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Kiana Hayeri, who is a visual storyteller that works in some of the most dangerous countries across the globe. As an immigrant from Iran to Canada, Kiana had struggled throughout her life to find a sense of home and belonging. As a teen, she found photography, a medium through which she didn't have to struggle with language and communication. Specifically, she shares how the camera made her realize that she could connect with the world that didn't belong to her. As a senior TED Fellow and a regular contributor to the New York Times, her work also appears in Harper's Magazine, Foreign Policy, The Washington Post, NPR, The Wall Street Journal, and many others. Her passion for visual storytelling has brought her all around the globe, but she keeps finding herself going back to Afghanistan. In this episode of Stories of Transformation, Kiana shares what it is about Afghanistan, the culture, the people, that keeps her intrigued. We talk about how living in a war-torn country like Afghanistan has changed her perspective on life and her definition of hope. We then go on to dissect the fundamental differences between Afghan and American culture, and lastly, learn what it's like being a female photojournalist in Afghanistan, which has its own unique set of challenges. I truly enjoyed this fascinating conversation with Kiana, and I hope you do too. So, without further ado, I bring you Kiana Hayeri. Kiana Hayeri, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm deeply fascinated by the work that you do, the images that you capture, the stories that you tell, and how that kind of plays out in you and affects you and comes through you. But I think it'd be really great to kind of start this conversation by asking, how would you define who you are? Sure. I am a visual storyteller, Iranian-Canadian, but I think I'm more of a citizen of the world. I don't feel a sense of belonging to any of those places or any of the places I've been to. Oh, that's really interesting. So how do you find a sense of home and belonging? What does that mean for you? That's the golden question. I, I'm still struggling. I'm still trying to figure out how to belong to a place. And then I've realized that whenever I start belonging to a place, I get really scared, freaked out. I kind of leave everything and I move on. But I'm trying to do that internally. And I have these like little routines as I travel and I uh, roam around the world to wherever I arrive, it only takes a few hours for me to settle and then feel at home and then move on to the next one. Yeah, I like to ask people who are immigrants to different countries what their sense of home is or what their semblance of home is. People often attach it to a place. Uh, in my personal experience, my sense of home or, or my feeling of home is really not attached to a place per se, but it's attached to my parents. And that's because they've been the, the constant in my life. And so I'm always really curious to know what people say when I ask that question. I, I totally relate to that. For me, that is less related to the family and more uh, to the family that I create for myself. Obviously, I can take my parents with me wherever I go, but I do try to find those qualities of having a family wherever I go, that being housemates or friends, colleagues. But I totally relate to that. Now, given your background of neither being here nor there, right, of being an Iranian-Canadian, where you spent a lot of time in between places and then also alone in both places, how do you think that sense of being has informed your work as a visual storyteller? 
oh, it's part of who I am and it's part of the work that I do is because of all this moving between countries, I was never quite an insider, but I was never an outsider either, right? In my own cultures, in Canada, I was never Canadian. And in Iran, friends would call me Khareji or I was never quite Iranian. And that's the perfect place to be as a photographer, as a journalist, where you're able to like put your toe into the circle and then put your head in, be a little bit of insider and then step out, take some distance and see the bigger picture. Definitely, it's been crucial to who I am and the stories that I tell. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So let's talk about your work. I mean, as somebody now who's been published in dozens of newspapers, magazines, periodicals, journals, how is it that you initially got into visual storytelling? How did you initially find photography? So I was introduced to the medium of photography when I first moved to Canada as a teenager. In high school, I took a photography class and I, it was great because I was taking all these classes, all these art classes. I went to an art school in Canada. It was all these art classes and a few like history and English classes. And photography really stood out because I didn't have to speak. So I wasn't really struggling with the words, the language, and I was loving it. So I was doing well, making friends. So it became a tool for me to connect to the world that doesn't belong to me. And I think that's really fundamental to who I have become like 15, 20 years later. So that, and then in my last year of high school, both of my photography teachers really invested in me. And then they showed me the work of a international photographer who is now a friend of mine, uh, Dominique Noir. And that project was from East Timor. And it really shook my teenage world. And that's really when I decided this is what I want to do. The rest came as I had a goal and I was trying to make my way to get to that goal. So I eventually last year of university, I moved out of Canada, went to Argentina, then I went nomad, moved around, lived in a few places, went to Iran, trying to make it as a photojournalist, didn't quite work out because of all the difficulties. And then eventually I arrived in Afghanistan. And that is really the first place that I feel I understood how this world worked like in terms of journalism. I, I went to a photo school, like a fine art photo school, but I learned the craft of photojournalism out in the field in Afghanistan. Yeah, I really like that. You said something really beautiful. You said photography is a tool that allows you to connect with the world that doesn't belong with you. Now, as it pertains to your work in photojournalism in Afghanistan, how has Afghanistan changed your understanding of photography? as it pertains to this sentiment that you just shared with us? The camera is the perfect medium. It's the, it's the tool that gives you an excuse to enter people's lives, right? So, I mean, I've heard that many times from actor, actors and actresses that they get to live a thousand different lives through the roles they take on. And with photography, I feel it has been the same. The camera has given me an excuse and an opportunity to enter people's lives and live it with them. And my approach is really, when I have the time, the luxury of time and budget and everything, I spend a lot of time with my subject. It has changed how I look at Afghanistan because I get to spend time with people that I wouldn't normally do. If I was doing a different job in Afghanistan, I wouldn't have the chance to go into people's houses in villages or places that I wouldn't necessarily go to and see the world through their eyes. So it has expanded my understanding of Afghanistan, but also life. Hmm, that's really curious. Let's talk about that. 
Say some more about that if you could. A lot of people ask me why Afghanistan, what, what do I like about it? It's, and there is, a, there is a quality about Afghanistan that strips you down to the basics. And that includes your choices of like where you go shopping, to the food, but also the emotions that you experience. It's so raw and often very basic. And there's something very beautiful about that. I'm just going to make an example. So when I come back to a place in the West, I go buy a shampoo and sometimes I, I get really confused. I stand in front of an aisle and I just do not understand why people should have have so many choices and spend so much time choosing, right? Whereas you go in Afghanistan, there are two shampoos, you buy one of them. Same with emotions. I feel like they spend too much time sorting through first world problems that they forget about the very basic things that we need in life for happiness, right? And that I have a hard time usually when I come back to any developed country, I have a hard time connecting to. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is that it strips a person down to its raw fundamental basics of what it means to be human. And in that space, there's a, there's a simplicity to life. Is that kind of what you mean? Exactly. Simplicity, but also the circumstances, the, the tough circumstances. It also brings people closer to one another. Like some of the best friends I've made, I've traveled a lot around the world, but some of the best friends I've made has been in Afghanistan because you go through experiences together. And that's very important. Yeah, that's also what I've learned. There's, um, there's something really interesting about Afghanistan as an Afghan-born, American-raised individual who went back to serve in Afghanistan for three years as a combat interpreter. I've gotten to know a lot of people that I've served in Afghanistan. Afghans, non-Afghans, people from the United States, people from the Western world. And what I've learned is that there's no real middle ground with Afghanistan. You either love it or you hate it. Do you find that to be your experience as well? Same. And also once you're invested in Afghanistan for doesn't matter how many years, you always go back to it. There's no end. Throughout like six years I've been living, there's so many people like, we're done. We're leaving a year later with their back, even for a short assignment or like a period of time. There is something about that uh, as we say in Farsi, you probably relate to this, like the soil uh, that brings you back. Yeah, so let's talk about that because I find myself in this conversation a lot. As we've described already, there's a fundamental rawness about Afghanistan that strips somebody down to their basic fundamental needs, right? The idea of it being simplistic in the circumstances that you're in and how it can be a very formidable experience in terms of finding other people and friends that you've experienced something really drastic in Afghanistan. So that brings you closer. In your opinion, what is the pull of that country? What has people going back over and over again? Put politics aside and put violence aside. Life in Afghanistan, for most part, has remained the same for most of the population for the past 40 years. Put big cities like Kabul, Herat, Mazar aside, they have become much more modernized. But as soon as you step out of the city, not a lot has changed, right? And yet, it is such a fascinating, complex society that even after 20 years of media coverage, you still manage to find stories to tell that is interesting. But I don't feel that way about any other country. I come home, I come to Canada, and I can't relate to people or find stories that, I, that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. 
it is a complex place. It is rich in its history and its culture. It's not a monolith. There are layers of identity and understanding about the world. But specifically in your lived experience, what is it about Afghanistan that has you going back? What's the thing that keeps you there? The concept of resiliency is always like really interesting for me. You see like people, they're knocked down, they turn into ashes and then they rise again. And that is a concept that I put many years of my career into investigating it. Uh, I worked with Iranian youth, I worked with Afghan youth and Syrian youth, and I looked at how resilience manifests themselves into the lives and the circumstances they live in, the societies they live in. And with Afghanistan, it's it's a level that I can't really describe. It's been going like the war, the, the cruelty, the, the loss has been going on for 40 years, if not more. And people still manage to pull themselves out of the ashes and do something. And there is something very beautiful about that. That also probably feeds into my desire to stay while everybody else is leaving. Yeah, so may I share a theory that I have about why I think people fall in love with the idea and the experience they have in a place like Afghanistan. In addition to all the things that we've already discussed, I think there's something really fundamental about that country that it possesses that, in my lived experience, doesn't have. I think about it in these terms. If I had to choose a word to kind of describe what America means, at least for me, the word that kind of surfaces is the word choice. The idea of choice in the sense that We believe in freedom. You have the freedom of choice. And the word that surfaces for me when I think of Afghanistan is sacrifice. In the context of Afghanistan, it's the way in which we describe how we love each other. Mothers and fathers rarely tell their children, I love you. They won't say, right? They'll say instead, that simply means, I'd sacrifice myself for you. And so, The idea of sacrifice is all-encompassing in a place like Afghanistan, such that it's infused into our language, and so it leads then to our thoughts and to our actions. And even when it's most agonizing to give, even when it's detrimental to give, people still give, people still sacrifice. And so in the giving and the sacrificing in Afghanistan, I think that's something that's really, really powerful that doesn't exist in other parts of the world. It can explain why Afghanistan is the way it is now in some sense, but I think there's a there's a beauty in that. And that's the thing that makes people come alive in Afghanistan. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And I actually never thought about it. I've I've thought about how like the the language and the proverbs people use or how they they talk about their emotions that I always find fascinating. I do have a slight disagreement with you about the sacrificing. And that is, I feel like I see that among my Afghan friends in Afghanistan, that this sacrificing, this giving has become a responsibility. And that takes some of the beauty away from it. Uh, You look at the family dynamics, the roles people take, it's expected from the child to obey the parents even if that means marrying someone that you don't want to marry to, right? Even if that means kids reach a certain age, they're expected to take care of their parents. They're expected to pay for everything. When the wedding comes, it's expected that guests bring in gifts and in return, once it's your wedding, they will bring it. Or it's expected that you have a wedding of a thousand guests, 
right? I think when that expectation arrives, it takes that beauty away from the sacrifice. That I find problematic. But yes, if you want to compare that to the Western culture or like to this part of the world that we're both in, that giving exists. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think what you're describing is the detriment that comes with sacrifice and how that's so different from being able to choose the life that you want. There's also, if I may, there's also this idea of hospitality that I think is absolutely in line with this idea of sacrifice that is just so compelling when you're in a place like Afghanistan. I mean, Afghan people are just so hospitable. And in some sense, it's based in scarcity. In some sense, it's based in understanding your notion of time in a place like Afghanistan, living for the moment versus living for the future, where I think in the United States, the United States is a very aspirational culture. So people are always living for a future anticipated goal that they can and will and sometimes do actually realize. So in the context of Afghanistan, there's a lot more giving and sharing and and quite literally sacrificing. I think those elements of human dynamics are quite fascinating. And there's also this idea of friendship that I think is second to none in Afghanistan. What are your thoughts about friendship there? The, the concepts that exist between friends, that is definitely one of the reasons I'm attracted to that part of the world compared to here in Afghanistan specifically. There is no word in English to describe the concept of a friend dropping everything he has in his hands to come run and help you out uh, or go out of his way no matter what to do something for you because that concept doesn't exist here. Yeah, good. Kiano, I'd like to pivot here and talk about your work. In particular, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a female photojournalist in Afghanistan and how that experience is for you and what it means to have that access and what it's like to hold that sense of responsibility and how it um, shows up in your work. I remember some time ago, maybe like 10 years ago, I read an article how women are kind of a third gender in Middle East, like in traditional Islamic countries. And this is before I went to Afghanistan. And I truly experienced it. It's because um, there are some stories that I would never be able to do because I'm a woman, but I can access both sides. And being a woman in Afghanistan and especially, especially, especially being able to speak the language, meaning that I don't need to take a fixer or a translator with me into somebody's house. I can be by myself going into a prison and spend all day long inside that prison. It's been a blessing, but also his responsibility. I try to take my time as much as I can, as long as uh, security is not a concern, and spend as much time as I can with the people that I'm photographing and trying to tell their stories to understand them better, to make sure that my photos are truly representative of their lives and their story. But it gives you a lot of access, being a woman. Some difficulties too. Mm -hmm. Do you mean your sense of identity? I fall into that funny line of not quite a foreigner, not quite a local, which also causes certain troubles. Hmm, That's interesting. Say more about that. So if you're an Afghan woman, men wouldn't dare to say things or do things because you have a family. You have a probably have a husband or father or brother who will come after you. 
And I'm not a total foreigner. I still speak the same language with them, but I'm much more open. And that has lent into situations which was a little tricky. And my access has been cut off before because I couldn't see where the line lies. But I learned with experience. The longer I stayed in Afghanistan, they, the, the more I learned about the culture and how I can operate within that culture. Yeah, so let's talk about that specifically. As a matter of culture, what are some things that you would say that are completely different about Afghan culture relative to Western culture? Definitely because of the circumstances, because life is too short, you may step out of the house and you never come back. You never plan long term. You live in the moment. That's definitely one thing that I've noticed and learned to embrace, which has also become very uh, useful in the time of pandemic because you take everything a day at a time or a week at a time. Uh, so that exists. But in the midst of that, I'm always surprised by you ask an Afghan teenager, what do you want to do in 20 years of time? Impossible for him or her to know that, to be able to like really articulate his or her words and thoughts and know what the future could bring to the person. But the family is always there. They always want to get married and they always want to have kids. And I, I, as someone who has come from abroad, I can't have the desire of bringing children to this world that is so messed up. And I'm always amazed by how Afghans do that. And I think that probably comes from part of it. It's probably the resiliency. Mm -hmm. What else comes up for you? It's all about sharing. <laughs> you share food, you share space, you share your friends, you share experiences. That also takes a little bit away from having a sense of privacy. That also doesn't exist within Afghan culture. And people don't understand that there are things that belongs to you because there's so much sharing going on. That is your personal space, your room. So that that is also like very conflicting. And then the hospitality that exists in the region, throughout the region. You go to houses of poor people, and even if they don't have anything to eat themselves, they always bring the best of whatever they have, or even they go out of their way to provide that for you because you're their guest. Yeah. I'd like to pivot now, Kiono, and... Explore how your lived experience in Afghanistan has changed you. So how do you think Afghanistan has quite literally transformed who you are? Many different ways. I have a higher appreciation for a lot of things that we take for granted. From safety, food, um, availability of things, or just being able to express yourself. But also, sadly, I have become a more pessimistic person. A lot of the cruelty you see and you experience there, you never can unlearn it or un unseen it. That part of change for the worst. And I sometimes I wish I could like delete things out of my mind just by clicking something. I also, I mean, my upbringing wasn't an easy one. So I think one of the reasons, and this is something that constantly these days I think about it is one of the reasons I feel so um, comfortable in Afghanistan is that sense of everything is temporary. My upbringing had that. The way I lived life, 
I really things would change every hour or every day so I knew it wouldn't last and I feel for once in Afghanistan I feel my inside and the exterior world they match right there's no sense of permanency so I think that hasn't changed in me but having lived in different places and having lived in Afghanistan I came to that realization which I think is very important Yeah, it almost sounds like it was a a revealing of who you always were. Exactly. Yeah. So, given the fact that you document a lot of, for lack of a better term, just really heart wrenching stories about the negative things that happened to women and marginalized communities in a place like Afghanistan and in other countries that are dealing with conflict, how does hope show up for you in your work? We do need the hope to survive, to live, right? And I. It's really a skill that I learned to find hope in different ways. Hope for me is not like a bright future necessarily. Hope is when I meet one single person who has done something very simple in her community or have managed to fight everyone to go to school. That I find hopeful, right? And I try to as I work through this dark world I try to find those moments and hang on to. And sometimes it's rare, but when it happens, man, it's worth it. Sometimes the stories we do change the lives of people we do this story about. And those are the moments that I try to remember and remind myself. And that keeps me motivated to do the work that I do. Uh, but hope is defined. I don't know. How do you, how do you define hope? My sense for understanding hope is the belief in something better than the current circumstances or something as a matter of a feeling as it pertains to the idea that everything is going to be all right. And it can happen, you know, through natural circumstances like the sun hitting our face or it can be something really simple as a simple act of kindness. It's this idea that things are going to be all right. And so for me, that's kind of how I think about it. And you can find that all over the world, even in the places that are the darkest, if you're paying attention. I don't think about hope as it will be better. Sometimes it won't be better, but it will be all right. That's how I see it. Yeah, it's this idea that everything's going to be all right. It will be all right. Human beings have been through... many things and look where we are today it will be all right not necessarily better and it's it's a little problematic right now because when i look at afghanistan like short term like maybe next five to ten years i don't have hope it will be all right it's been a difficult 40 years it won't be fixed there's no quick fix it will be all right and hopefully one day it will be better Yeah. So let's explore this idea of storytelling. What have you learned from from telling your stories? Looking at stories coming out specifically from Afghanistan, I'm fed up with seeing stories that are dark without offering any solution. They they just tell you about the misery of all these people that are very far away from you. But then what? Early on when I started as a photographer, I think the very first project I did, I started photographing my own friends in Iran. And 
I saw through that work that why people abroad connected to it is that for the very first time, they were seeing Iranian youth like themselves doing activities that they would do. So there was a sense of connection. And I learned that in order to connect people from different countries through these stories, you have to look at common concepts being motherhood, being friends, being things that people do in all over the world, eating, right? These are the things that brings people together, connect them, and gives you like a little window that you can understand this other society, this other culture that is very far away from you, right? So I learned that. And I also learned myself, through myself, looking at all these dark, sad, horrific stories is not going to help you. You're just going to run away from it. But then when you learn about the difficult life of someone and the very little thing that that person has done to change it or to illustrate a sense of hope, that's when you're hooked on the story. That's where you're like, mm, you're going to walk away from it remembering something, not trying to forget all those like blood, flesh, or difficult stories. Through the sharing of your photos and through the sharing of your stories, through these photographs that you capture and document, what do you hope people take away from your images? What do you hope people take away from these stories? We live in a time and age where politicians or people in power are trying everything they can to separate us, separate races, separate cultures, countries, because they benefit from it. So all I hope is the stories that I tell bring people closer to one another and they understand that we're all human beings. We have a lot in common, right? And make them care. The Western culture forces us to be so individualistic that we only care about ourselves, right? I want them to care about someone who is thousands of kilometers away from them. And I could have a little bit of hope that they would do something about it. That's great. So as we wrap up here, Kiana, I would like to ask you, what is your message for the world? Life is vast and it's much bigger than your backyard. Get to know about other cultures, other people, your neighbors, down the road and people in other countries, it will change your perspective on life and it will make it more enjoyable once you start caring. I like that. Kiana, thank you for the work that you do and thank you for being the light in the darkness. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Stories of Transformation podcast. This podcast is produced by Dana Drahos. Audio engineering by Joe Genjemi. Marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esor. If you love Stories of Transformation, you can help more people find us by leaving a review and sharing the episodes far and wide. We're grateful for all your support. And on behalf of the Stories of Transformation team, I'd like to say thank you. Okay, see you next time.